Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I am your host, Patch, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling with this week's episode is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. I'm back. Still kicking. Still kicking with no hesitation on your name. I went ahead and let you lead right into it. So, you know, unfortunately, it just doesn't work in an audio medium, but whatever. It doesn't. Aaron, this is a a really interesting episode. It was one of the highest rated on IMDb, and it's one that after watching it a second time, I really enjoyed it like more the second time around because I kind of picked up on a number of different things. I want to say as an episode on the whole, I love the groupings. Like I, I love the fact that we are really in the thick of this season and yet we're still getting new stuff added. Like that's what I think is really fascinating about this series is that we haven't really settled in on a villain. So it feels somewhat procedural, but it still feels serialized as we talked about last time. And I think this really packed a a good punch. And I I made that in the most punful sense uh, in dealing with superheroes, but I'm excited to have the discussion with you with regard to all these kind of recurring characters and new characters. And I'm, I'm really excited to get your thoughts on some of these newer ones that we're getting used to. So we'll get into it starting with this long, cold open. Like this was a, this was a lot. We are reintroduced to Titan. I love this. Mahershala Ali voices Titan. He's fantastic in this. And that opening... Wait, no, no. But reintroduced? He was in the first episode where... Um, was? Yeah. He was the one that Invincible, right. before he got his like uniform was yeah. like trying to take down to kind of prove that he's awesome where his dad had to interrupt him and they went to go get a new suit. Oh man, I think I totally spaced on that. This is the product of watching these things a week apart instead of like binging them cuz <laughs> so I fully accept that kind of downside of doing this. But yes, so he makes his return more prominent in this episode. The opening fight sequence is fantastic. I love how he's taking down these prisoners. I think my favorite part of this fight, and I say this very lightly because I don't want this to happen to anybody ever, is when the dude takes the gun and tries to shoot him and the gun's bullet ricochets and then just pops the dude right in the head and he just gets killed instantly. It's right on point with this type of animated series. It's so like completely tonally even with everything else, but it's a great way to introduce him as more than just a, a strong man. Like he's got a, a super heroic ability, but it's more defensive than anything else. He's just really strong as well. What'd you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I just loved all of this, uh, mostly because I was taking it in framed as if this was like a brand new person. So I wrote down all these notes about like how this is a cool <laughs> new superhero we've never seen before. Uh, and the needle drops are on point. I think yeah. the music behind this one is just perfect. Obviously the, the voice acting is outstanding. The body armor, power is sick my first thought was like oh here's an actual invincible character Uh, but um yeah it just (laughs) i really enjoyed everything about his introduction and the setup for what he was trying to do uh apparently and it's very it's kind of like slowly trickled out over the course of this episode you know what his intentions are and i from the jump i was 
completely captivated by his story and wanted to yeah. know what was going on. Well, and I, I really like the way that the episode frames all this stuff. This opening is really cool because it goes back and forth between him and Invincible. So we see him, and then the next moment, Invincible is battling another baddie, just sort of a generic one for, for our entertainment. And then that scene leads into Amber being just incredibly frustrated at the fact that Invincible Mark is late once again. So we're getting a little bit more drama with them. And we know why. I love how it's sort of framed to show, yep, this is why he is, because he is he's a superhero. And this is a part of when you date a superhero, it comes with the territory. Unfortunately, because you don't know he's a superhero, you can't give him that much grace. And so she does it. Like, she's really, really frustrating. Um, he tries to offer up some Japanese uh, cheesecake, which I believe he got from Japan. I don't think he I'm got telling from you, Hunter, I'm it, I'm convinced now that everything he does that he's like because he's called it's called out specifically yeah. as Japanese cheesecake. And she's like, you had time to get that, but you couldn't be here. And I, it's just it's clear to me that he is like zipping all over the world <laughs> trying to do these things. And I love that it's a repeated thing in this opening this mm-hmm. was a really wild opening because we were quick cutting between yes. like three or four different storylines at one mm-hmm. point i was like okay is the whole episode gonna ever like chill for a second on <laughs> any one thing yeah it wasn't like bad but it was definitely different than we had experienced so far yeah uh, in the structure uh, and yeah and there's like a repeated thing about him being late late yeah and late. i, I you make a great point that this episode, it was very energetic, especially this opening, because of the fact that we're with him. And now the next scene, we're back with Titan in the streets, burning down an apartment. But why is he doing that? Because he's offering money to the residents. We find out later why that is. So then we're back with Mark, who is taking down this cat lady and saving people from falling buildings. So there's like these parallels. So one building is burning at the hands of Titan, and Mark is trying to get people out of a building that's starting to crumble. So lots of visual parallels here. And then later that night, Mark gets in trouble with his boss. So he now no, no longer works at Burger Mart. By the way, I didn't see anything weird in this episode. I don't know if you picked up anything, but nothing weird happened in this episode that felt a little out of place. So... I don't know if I've not found Waldo at this point in this episode, but I really... Your streak is broken. My streak is broken. Well, I didn't see anything in episode two, but I'm not going back to watch it. Just try to figure it out. So, or no, I mean, episode three. I think that's what it was. And then in the city, Titan is threatening this dude, but provides some mercy a la Rocky before letting him go. I had like Rocky one vibes where Rocky goes to the docks. He's like, I'm gonna break your thumbs. And the guy's like, no, I got some money. You know, like, here, take my coat, you know, whatever. And... So he's showing a little bit of mercy. So we're getting this kind of piecemeal visual into Titan. So he is apparently, uh, at this point, he we know that he knows how to fight. He knows he's sort of a, a hitman for somebody and that he does have a little bit of a soft side, even though he is at times made of stone. It's an interesting build for him that I was completely invested in because we, we see the initial fight and he's clearly trying to get paid to get something because he needs to get out of debt is kind of the briefest of explanations we're given, but we don't know what that means. Yeah. And then we see when he comes out of the burning building and the people chastise him and they're like, dude, you just like destroyed our homes. And at first he's kind of cold about it. And then he clearly feels bad 
and gives them some cash, which I don't know that that was going to help. He's like, hands them some 20s and their house is burning down. <laughs> and he's like, I hope you find somewhere to sleep tonight or something like that. But I mean, but you see that, but then that you couple that with the whole dangling the dude upside down. And when he gets in the guy's wallet and he sees the picture of the dude's wife and kid, that's when he shows that mercy. And so even before you know that he has a daughter himself and a family, you're putting together that like he has a moral compass of sorts. Right. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, is this my new superhero like that I can root for? The the character development for him throughout this episode is absolutely aces from start to finish. I, I, I don't disagree it. at all. I don't <laughs> disagree. It's it's fantastic. And there's such a great parallel because then the next day Mark and Nolan are threatening a bad guy by hanging him upside down up to, in, in the highest parts of the sky, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> No one's so, so, it's so nonchalant about it, right? Mark's no like, like, uh, you gonna go get him? And he's like, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> do we ever see him go get him? He never I'm no, waiting and we waiting don't. and waiting. We don't. I we was waiting like are you ever gonna show him like zip down? I mean, there were like three or four seconds of beats right there. I'm like, you need to go get him, okay? Because terminal <laughs> velocity is about to happen with this dude. Yes. <laughs> So funny. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, because of his uh, his training, Mark is late for school, and he gets taken to the principal's office. I had Back to the Future vibes here with Mr. Strickland and him just getting rolled in. So again, we're getting dual stories here of Mark just the world's kind of academically and socially falling apart for him because he's in this intense training with his dad. And Titan is continuing to sort of evolve. His character's coming out. He busts into a lab. He steals this microchip of some kind while saying probably one of the coolest lines of the episode. He says, Your lives worth minimum wage, but you want to fire your guns in the air so you tried your best and we all walk away happy and alive. I love that line. I love his delivery of it. And then what happens? He leaves and what do they do? They all fire their guns and they're like, yep, uh, a microchip is not worth it. Then we're back to Mark, who's texting Amber saying he can't see her tonight due to some stuff while being attacked by some random baddie. Yeah, another just fun moment. And finally, um, Titan heads to uh, this penthouse kind of headquarters where he hands a chip over to a, a new villain who I'm kind of still on the fence about as I watch this episode, about whether I like her or not. His name is Machine Head. He puts the chip in his head because he's Machine Head. And he does this missed opportunity for a bush needle drop in a big way at that point. Like I needed a machine ahead. Like the, Bush has a song. People that should have been. You're absolutely right. Know who Bush is, but anyway, that should have been the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I like the auto tune effect. It's phenomenal. I think it's, I, I love. I think it. it's I, I thought it was. Yeah, it was so. The creativity continues to be like boundless in a world. I've said this before, but like. We see repetitive superheroes so much, it is incredibly difficult to stand out. Yeah. And to make this robotic head dude whose head literally like opens and who has like an SD card <laughs> slot <laughs> that he, he like can power up or something, <laughs> but like, and just the randomness of giving him the extra quality of speaking in auto tune. I, I, I thought it was hilarious. And it, especially when you couple it with what we learn a little bit later about how he says, you know, it's not about him being powerful. He's just a crime boss with money. Yeah. And he hires people. Yeah. 
<laughs> he straight up says that. And so it, it makes it even better to have him like be this weird talking character. I just, I, yeah, it's so much fun for me. He's also obsessed with maple wood, you know, the specific imported maple. He's very which, angry. The, the, the jokes that gets broken. Yeah, the jokes that come back about that, which is fantastic. And this is where we find out that the Titan's been working for him. He wants to get out from under his authority or whatever, but he is not able to. And at the result of the expensive desk that he breaks, you know, we find out that that's not happening. Meanwhile, Mark is uh, stopping an asteroid. Yeah, it's just a Wednesday for him. And it's uh, a part of his training also makes him late for dinner more and more. He cannot keep plans because he's training. I like this scene with him and Amber because she really is honest with him about the fact that she's feeling neglected and that he's constantly late and he's not making time for her. And it's for good reason, but still because she doesn't know that. And I was with him in this moment. I was like, yeah, you got to tell her. You got to tell her. This is the moment. It's the right moment. And he's like, I do better. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you missed your chance, dude. Like, I'm, I like Amber. I think that she would understand that he's a superhero. But as I mentioned before, my theory about her being a superhero, I don't think that's happening now. That, that theory has kind of been thrown out the window. And that's okay. But I do like her. I think that this episode in particular made me appreciate her and her assertiveness. I think that we've seen earlier with her being able to kind of defend herself against guys. I like the, the fact that she's not a pushover that she has her limits, her breaking point, And she's like, you've got to get this right. You've got to start stepping into this role as a boyfriend or else I'm done. I don't really want to do this. I really like that. I do too. And I like that Mark is not depicted as someone who is as much as I want him to trying to have his cake and eat it too. And most stories like this, he would be, waffling between Amber and Eve and it would be giving us this characterization of a person who is truly invested and interested in both ladies but he's struggling he can't choose because they're both so awesome it's not like that like I want him to be with Adam Eve but like he is into Amber it is unquestionable that he is into Amber and I think that that is really nice to, to yeah. have someone like that that's kind of, I guess, faithful in his dating relationship at this age. <laughs> well, he's never had a girlfriend at this point. So I think yeah. the fact that she's impressed him and not that she has superpowers, I think is kind of a double whammy for him. Up to the point of the, but right before the the title card pops up, Titan's coming home from that hard day at work. He We find out he has a wife and kid, a wife and daughter. He tells his wife that they aren't out yet, which frustrates her. And uh, as you mentioned, it's a good setup showing him as a family man. As he's sitting outside, his daughter sees Invincible taking down, I think it's Elephant Man that Nolan mentions is is who they're fighting. That, But that gets us to the title card. It's, it's a much better title card, by the way, this time. I appreciated it because it's not him saying it himself. It is someone else saying it. He's like, he calls himself. And then it drops yeah. it, which I thought was more effective because yeah. I could kind of I could internally think that he's making fun of it like I am. Uh, we're back at the Grayson home and Debbie is in what I called the demon closet because this is the last time that we got a glimpse of or at least the remnants of uh, of your boy Damien. 
and she gets a chill. So she discovers that Damien's notebook is in there. So she goes to the bathroom, of course, where all great reading takes place, as we've found out in this comic book series. And she begins to connect some dots. She sees some really great kind of scattered notes about a suit. She has a flashback to that episode, that scene in the episode that I I pointed out about Nolan just getting really mad about getting his uniform back or suit back. So she's starting to put some pieces together. Meanwhile, at Eve's house, she's gotten parent issues. Her parents, who actually know she has power. This is really interesting to see that they know that she has powers. And it's like this great teen drama with superpowers added on top of it, which is something we've already seen. But it's great to see parents and the fact that there's still those stereotypical controlling parents. Like, we know what's best for you, even at 18 years old. You need to stay with Rex because he can protect you and because, you know, you're a superhero. And her dad just starts going ballistic on her. He's like, I didn't even want this for you. I think you don't need to be a superhero. And I I love the confrontation because it feels very honest. It feels very much like a teenager having this fight with their parents. Like, you don't understand me with just the added bonus of being super heroic. Couldn't agree more. Noted the same thing. Yeah. It's like, you don't know Rex, dude. <laughs> yeah. You don't. Did she, because I know that she can manipulate Adams as she showed her parents. Did she create a door that she walked through? Is that what I, what I saw? Do you, is, is that what happened? I did, or not, what? did not catch that if okay. so. I mean, because I think at the end of it, her dad says, don't you walk at that door that you created or don't, I can't remember what it was, but I was like, oh, I don't dang, think that that's great. Was, yeah. I think it's fantastic. So the next day in the city, Mark's flying around having a good time. He kind of flies by an airplane, but then he spots an abbreviated version of his name tagged on top of the building, courtesy of Titan. Another great line from this guy. He says, You missed a few letters. Pain costs money and you got a long ass name. And he's not wrong. So he just it. goes with the vital letters. The I think it's the, the consonants at this point. That's exactly um, right. Titan needs Mark to help take down Machine Head. That's not a real name. So they go to where Machine Head is, uh, and then Titan is telling Mark about what Machine Head's MO. This is actually kind of an interesting MO that we alluded to earlier. He buys up real estate, particularly these buildings. He burns them down, and then he collects the insurance money. It's a profitable business. At this point, they're kind of planning on how to how to take him down. And then... Um, Mark is hesitant, but then he sees why Titan wants to do it. He sort of sees his his family, and he's like, okay, I'll think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's essentially like a mobster. That's how I look at him. He's gotcha. a kingpin. Yeah. You know, he's he has a criminal empire that he is doing something criminal. So he's he's a villain in a sense, but you're right, not in a traditional, like, I want to fight you one-on-one type of villain. I thought it was an interesting choice and probably a reference that his like home base is called the popsicle palace. And I'm like convinced that's a reference to the iceberg lounge for penguin. It's just way too similar feeling like the popsicle palace, the iceberg. Anyway. Uh, but, and then, yeah, the fact that Titan's daughter is sick, which again, continues that great character building and giving us slow bits of information about why he's doing what he's doing. Clearly he needed money to fund her care or to take, you know, her treatment, things like that. It's basically like ambulance, the movie. And so he goes on a crime spree to try and take care of his family, uh, a little crime spree of his own against 
criminals in a way, you know, gets involved with them. Yeah. Uh, but the motivation is something that we would have empathy for. Right. I think the episode does something really well among the many things we've already mentioned in that it sort of puts superheroics on multiple levels. So Titan is a boots on the ground kind of guy, kind of an anti-hero, does what he needs to do for his family, redefines what a criminal is. He has that conversation with Mark before they go see what Machine Head's doing. And it allows Mark to recognize that superheroics don't have to be big intergalactic things. Like he makes this comment to Titan, like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a big picture kind of guy. I'm not really kind of the, in the neighborhood dude. And Titan's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me show you. And I thought that was really neat that the superhero needs to sort of be taught a lesson about what it means to be a hero. That sometimes you have to understand what heroics are before you can understand superheroics. And they don't have to be specifically big picture, public facing, newspaper prints on the internet type stuff, which I think is what Mark thinks that's what superheroics are. So throughout this episode, I think I honestly think that's what motivates him besides the fact that Titan has a family of what ends up getting him to commit to doing what he does in that he sees himself as being a guy that's constantly learning. And this is another angle, which I think is why this next conversation at the Grayson home over dinner is so intriguing to me because he really is wrestling with the fact that he doesn't know if he's supposed to be teaming up with this guy. And both of his parents have normal parents response. You know, Nolan says you've been making a huge mistake because he's using you. And of course we find out later that's the truth. And then Debbie's response is, is really just as good. She says, sometimes people aren't who they appear to be, but I also know that helping someone is never beneath you. And the, the double meaning in all this, as she's sort of figuring out stuff about Nolan Sometimes people aren't who they appear to be. It's just a great set of lines because it has all that sort of what's going on underneath type stuff. And it offers up this ending that is like, nobody's happy. Like Mark doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Nolan doesn't want him to do it. And Debbie's struggling with what she's starting to find out about Nolan. And all of it's under this guise of, should he help tight? Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's just continuing the great family drama that has to do with the unique dynamic of non-superheroic wife to, you know, dealing with a superheroic husband and now son and everybody's trying to figure out how to do that while also keeping their secrets. Yeah. <laughs> secrets, secrets. Which makes somewhere. everything more complicated. They really do. At Guardians HQ, the team is back from a battle that Rex and Monster Girl are jacked about the results. And... Some people are not, including um, Black Samson and Robot. Black Samson goes through the recap of the fight, which I thought was kind of cool. The fact that, you know, I guess you've got all these satellites. You can actually show the, the fight as it takes place and kind of go through a debrief. And uh, what the team could do better, Rex is not having it. He's like, dude, we won the fight and almost nobody got hurt. <laughs> it's just more, to me, There's there, this is a, a scene of more. So it's more of Rex being a jerk. And reminding us, like, right now why we don't like him. It also is more of this relationship between Robot and Monster Girl throughout the episode. I, I'm asking myself the question, what is it about Monster Girl that Robot has sort of attached himself to? And it's also about, in some ways, um, how the team is needing to figure out how to be a team. 
And Black Samson made a great point. He said, Two dozen civilians are in the hospital right now because we fought like six individual assholes instead of a team. I wonder when it comes to team-ups, like how, how cohesive or how long does it take for a team to become that cohesive? You think about the Avengers, you think about the Justice League, and we never see that side of it. And I think a, a series like this helps explore that a little bit more. I liked how this scene worked because it kind of exposed several different things that just caused more questions to pop into my head. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that last line by her is, you know, a kind of a zinger <laughs> with the whole, I'm the only one that actually is losing anything here. I'm a right. closer to my death basically because of us doing this. And so it does matter when we don't <laughs> accomplish anything. I think I'm getting the sense that the protective nature is just one of like a a parental kind of a feeling, uh, okay. in my opinion. Even though she's technically older, she still presents as a kid. Yeah, I think because of how much we've been given so far and all the questions that have been asked that leave us sort of wanting more, I want there to be more than just that. Because later on, I mean, his reaction to her is very empathetic and it was inhuman. It was, it was non-human. And so I think maybe it was robot like sentience. Yeah, like, was he a person? And now his brain is inside this, like, I, I need a robot origin story to think, does he have, is there something about if he was like a human at one point and his brain or his, his entire being was sort of catapulted or put in this um, robot body for some reason, what kind of history is there? And uh, that parental instinct, maybe that comes from something. I don't know. But uh, back at the Grayson home, Debbie and Nolan, they're continuing to fight about the choice that Mark wants to make. This is more of that dismissive nature that Nolan has, which it feels very real. The way that a husband talks to a wife or the way that a wife talks to a husband or boyfriend or girlfriend, this is very real dialogue. It's like a, a subtle version of a husband who is physically abusive to his wife and then apologizes for it later. So he'll say something that cuts and she's like, that's not okay. And he's like, I know, I'm sorry. And then they hug. And the more that he does this, Aaron, the less inclined I am to feel like he even means it. Like he's got, I know he's got some kind of ulterior motive, like why he's keeping the secret, what he's doing, but it's starting to affect his family, which is great storytelling. But I definitely feel that between him and her. I feel it too in basically all his interactions, but you're right. The the most in their relationship, it's you can absolutely tell he has that eating inside him. And just like we talked about, like with secrets, the more you try to cover them up, the more you're trying to hide and bury these things, it just gets harder and harder and harder. And you have to start acting out of the character that you maybe have shown previously that to be because you can't get caught that's the only priority and that's number one and it's yeah it's it's sad it's gonna be really sad when it comes to a head eventually which i'm sure right. it will so all we have to go on right now in terms of comfort is mark and amber who are still struggling <laughs> the next day the the more that more that comes out mark and eve are talking um after school and she starts telling him about her struggles, you know, with her parents, not detail. And this reminds me, Aaron, I've been rewatching One Tree Hill. There are similar relationships in here where you have a guy and his best girlfriend. And I feel like this is what this feels like. It feels like Mark and uh, Mark and um, Eve are sort of best friends because they have that superheroic thing in common. 
and they're talking a little bit about their stuff and they're interrupted by Amber who brings up this volunteering thing over at this community center. And that kind of sparks Mark to say, wait, where, where's that? And so he connects the dots. He's like, Oh, the writing here is really great because it's another parallel. So earlier on in the episode, you have uh, Titan hanging some dude out to kill him and he has mercy. And then you couple that. Then every next scene you have Mark and Nolan doing the same thing played for laughs from a script standpoint, from a writing standpoint, this was also really cool because she's talking about, Amber's talking about her experience at this community center, how it was the place she always went. It was kind of safe for her. And then it prompts him to talk to Titan about this community center. And so he kind of connects those dots and says, okay, I get it. And that's when he commits. But before that, the abandoned warehouse pops up again, where you have, um, Mahler Prime is what I call him without his his clone wakes up to find that uh, his clone is done cooking essentially and he starts using his own biomechanics to start him up but they're interrupted by a robot who has a short fight I really like the choreography here like I love the way that robot jumps around he keeps his hands behind his back like he's not fighting and the way that his lines are delivered he's like stop doing this this isn't okay very much like a howl response but um, he says, I need your expertise in DNA growth and tissue replication. So we talked about this on the last episode, or maybe a couple episodes, and we mentioned that the sample he took from Rex at the end of the episode, there's this thing cooking in a lab, and I assumed that it was the same dude. I assumed that it was this thing from the warehouse. That's not it, though, right? Like, he's got his own thing cooking? Is that is that what I'm picking up? I mean, it seems that way. I mean, we don't know. Perhaps this smaller twin eventually develops Rex-like powers that we haven't seen yet, but it seems more like a an experimentation type of scenario. Okay. Perhaps it's tied to your thoughts on Monster Girl. Maybe he's trying to find hmm. a way to help reverse her aging before she dies. Sure. Maybe that's his goal. I don't know. Yeah, but I think what what I, I guess I need to have settled in my brain is that there is a clone cooking in this broken down warehouse, but robot also has one. Like, I think that's what we have two distinct growing things happening. Like, I mean, I think so. We okay. it's intentionally being uncertain for us. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know, <laughs> but we know that's, we know that's Rex's blood. We can, we can say safely that that's Rex's blood because we haven't seen him stick anybody else with it. Okay, well, anyway, the next day, Debbie gets Nolan out of the house for a few hours. I love how she does that. It's really clever. And starts hunting for clues. She ends up finding his blood-soaked uniform just as he is coming home. So lots of dots being connected now. And that whole, like, storyline has sort of stops there until we get to whatever the next episode is. And great kind of cliffhanger for that, like, C-plot. Then we're at Machine Head's HQ. It's a great location by the way i love the building the architecture is fantastic titan and mark think they have the jump on him like he rolls in they roll in but it turns out as you mentioned aaron he doesn't have power he's got money and that money can summon intergalactic beings from all over the place i have no idea who these people are i had to look up some of these characters because they never said their names uh, the only one that i paid attention to was the one that sort of took on front and center and that was uh, what's that the cat the, the cat. cat with the mace basically yes yeah. who uh i believe was called battle beast almost like a fitting 
Very fitting. Did you find out what the guy with all the tongues is called or ribbons? I'm assuming they look like I tongues. Don't. It was really gross. <laughs> I didn't it was really, look. really, really gross. No, I, I focused in on Battle Beast because of he had the most screen time, but also because he is voiced by the spectacular Michael Dorn. Do you know who Michael Dorn is? Uh, no. Not he, played, he played Worf in Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So the fight's great. Love the choreography. Love the way this plays out. It's a it's a great mix of both Saturday morning cartoons and and a little bit more uh, mature fight. So you have blood. You can feel the impact of Battle Beast as he hits Mark. The slow motion, the blood, the licking of the blood on the face. Oh my gosh, it was just kind of crazy. It's just very more visceral stuff. Wasn't as visceral as the first episode by any means because I didn't see anybody's heads pop off but there was there were some some arms and legs there were some appendages that were removed from from certain people what's interesting is as all this is happening i love the camera from the from the outside it pans back and you see this out of focused like cape flying and i'm like nolan go save your son but he doesn't and yet another open ended like string there of like, why didn't he go in and save his son? It just, it, it was such a, it was just, it was cool. Oh, I love this scene. This was long too. I mean, it yes. was a very long and very bloody battle. And I couldn't remember their name. I was like the fast five show up to help out. What are they called? <laughs> Robots team. <laughs> what are the they? New guardians, the new guardians. That's it. That's just, that's the, that's just the new guardians. That's, that's what that's I'm calling I them. forgot it because it's boring. Okay. Gog 2.0. I don't know. <laughs> I'm calling them fast five from now on. Fast five. I don't even know if there are, I don't even know if there are five of them, but there's close. Maybe now. Cause one of them died. Yeah. The guy that doesn't have superhero powers <laughs> got himself killed. Uh, yeah. It's, I thought monster girl was dead the way they showed her. Yeah. It was hard to tell. I mean, the face was starting to erode in the monster, like erode, erode, like, the skin was coming off. It was gross. Yeah. But I guess she's not dead. But yeah, this this was awesome to watch and awful at the same time because they were really, really getting their butts kicked. I mean, hardcore. Like, I was worried for Mark. And it made me question his abilities big time because I think this was necessary to show... You know, you know, we've been building up and he's been successful here and there, but that you got to understand that there's a limit to your power. And I, I mean, I think probably that's why Nolan wasn't helping was he needs to allow him to go through this. He trusts that he wasn't going to actually die. You know, you got to take your lumps and that's how you get better is yeah. by I think- experiencing this kind of a fight. I, I don't disagree at all. And I think Nolan trusts the Viltrum power when he talks about Mark actually being invincible. I think that plays into what you're talking about. Like he doesn't believe that Mark can die just like he doesn't believe he can die. And we haven't seen anything to the contrary for, for Nolan, but I think you're right. That's probably why he feels comfortable enough to stay back. Now it doesn't make him feel good because there's a great set of scenes later on where people are responding emotionally to what has happened. And one of those quick scenes is when Debbie's doing something in the kitchen and Nolan comes in and I guess he's about to tell her, Hey, Mark's been severely hurt. What he says to her 
I completely look forward to because <laughs> he's not going to tell her the truth. I saw Mark get hurt. I didn't do anything about it. He's not going to say that, obviously. No. But I think you're you're onto something in that not just as a father figure wanting his son to go through this sort of trial, but I think in some ways he's probably testing Mark's limits. He's half Viltrum. He's not fully Viltrum. And so maybe there are limits to what he, maybe he bleeds. Maybe Nolan doesn't bleed, but he does, but he's still invincible. So seeing him take that step back or, or, or not interfere was surprising, but understandable at the same time. And so, as you mentioned, the guardians show up or the fast five, whatever we're calling them this episode. And as you said, I thought Mark was actually dead because of the way that like nobody was moving. And it's such a great set of cuts because Monster Girl, Mark, and Black Samson, none of them are moving. So we're made to assume, oh yeah, they're all dead. But that's not the case. So Mark is still alive. Monster Girl gets revived because of the defibrillator. And Robot, as I mentioned before, is consoling her. He's, he's almost, he's very, very emotional. The biggest kind of surprise in all this was as Mark is sort of in and out of a daze, Titan leans over and says, sorry, Mark, but I got to take care of mine. Hope you make it. And at that point, I just kind of went, what? He he asked you to do this. Of course, we come to find out that the biggest twist of the episode, Titan, and we didn't mention this earlier, but Machine Head's sidekick, what was his name? Like Terabyte or something? I don't know. The <laughs> but, guy, that, it's the teleporting guy. The teleporting guy, yeah, that, that protects him. Turns mm-hmm. out he was with titan the whole time yep so that leaves us with this open-ended question as well it's brilliant and the needle drop comes back and actually hits the chorus which is the title of the song which is make way for the king it's perfectly timed it's just fantastic i just loved it how it was like worked in there uh yeah this was this is what i was talking about with the whole the whole arc of this character going from what we're getting bits and pieces of what he's doing we're building empathy for him and then we get left with the oh oh, but what is going on like now he's in charge of this empire you know like he's (laughs) going to be able to protect his kid of course but what's he going to do with it what are his motivations what's his goals it's just he clearly he doesn't help mark but like i don't think he was he wasn't actively trying to hurt mark he didn't actively want mark to be hurt it didn't seem like so he's definitely in this very gray area right now that is fascinating yes to nolan's point he wasn't wrong he was being used so there's a small kudo for nolan and you know I'll give he's you been that. around the block he, he's he's seen a thing or two like, yeah he knows. <laughs> he's been around the globe a few times <laughs> or the solar system or whatever he does uh, the other thing that finishes off this episode is um, cecil comes on to the crime scene crime scene the battle scene and he sees Mark's mangled body, tells Donald to get him to the lab. And he says, get a sample to the lab just in case. Yeah, that and was so interesting, we, too. That yeah, was interesting. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> well, we see blood being drawn from Mark's body. And then the little mid-credits scene that we are used to getting now shows Donald going to an underground room, which I labeled 92L75, because those are the numbers and letters that he... He punched in to get to room X or whatever down at the bottom of, of the Pentagon. 
He checks on the blood sample. It apparently is impervious to any kind of virus. And then he says something very ominous. I've got a feeling blood's still the answer. I can see why this episode was was like rated so high because I think there were about five different what's that I said as I was watching it. Yeah. And I love that Kirkman is not afraid to just throw all this at us and that he's also telling us, hey, all that stuff you saw in the previous episode, that dude with the uh, with the hand tattoo. Yeah, we're not even going to touch that. So it's just like Pandora's box is just wide open. I like, how are you going to land this in three episodes? I don't know, but I'm excited to know well, what's going to land? Because you can't land all this stuff. And the more you introduce, the I was more I'm say, like, not. Yeah. yeah, we have like a one-off series for Adam Eve, and then we have like a season two coming. So it's definitely not getting wrapped up, but it is, right. it's very interesting. And, and you've got these multiple different characters that we don't know if they're working together or not. So yeah. we've got Robot playing his little game with a creepy thing that he's creating and blood that he's drawn from Rex and now we have the blood from Mark in the mix and we know that blood is what connected them to thinking that Nolan is responsible for the murders in the first place they're still questioning that so like yeah it's just I don't know (laughs) I mean are they trying to create something that can take down Omni-Man like what is happening I don't know yeah I hope it's Alan. I hope they're going to like supercharge <laughs> love Alan. It's like love Alan the alien is going to come in, but have Viltrumite powers and Rexplode powers and be <laughs> dominant. That's what's going to happen. I'm convinced that some of those, some of those characters in the fight in this episode came from Urath. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of an original series. Next week, we are taking a look at, episode number six of season one entitled you look kind of dead these titles of the episodes are fantastic and i don't even want to look at the synopsis because i just want to go in blind for the rest of the season based off of this episode so i'm looking forward to that looking forward to our discussion on that Um, thanks everyone for tuning in and joining this conversation i'm patch he's aaron and we are out of here